Jordy, during your children's message, you said, uh, everyone got to eat, and Grant leaned in close and said, cake and cookies. <laughs> and I will do my best to ensure that uh, we are not here at noon still listening to a sermon. Uh, but with all that, uh, I'd invite you to join me in a word of prayer. Uh, Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you a rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, in the final months of uh, 1966, a young medical missionary by the name of Dr. Bill Fagey faces an almost impossible situation. He's uh, just over 30 years old, and he's fighting in the front lines in the battle against smallpox uh, when he faces an outbreak of that disease and very little that he can do about it. Uh, you can smell smallpox, uh, Fagy writes, long before you enter a patient's room. And he calls it uh, a loathsome disease uh, because over the past several thousand years, it has killed uh, more than a billion people, uh, almost 300 million uh, in the 1900s alone. And for many years, uh, there was very little, almost nothing uh, that you could do about that until an English physician in the late 1700s uh, developed a vaccine against that disease and almost eradicated uh, smallpox among the world's wealthiest nations. Uh, But as recently as the 1960s, uh, this disease uh, was killing almost 2 million people a year in places like Africa and Asia, and that's why in the final months of 1966, uh, Dr. Bill Fagey finds himself in an almost impossible situation in the African nation of Nigeria. It was uh, a little after 7 o'clock in the evening. That's how Bill likes to uh, tell the stories. A little after 7 o'clock in the evening, we received word from a remote jungle village there had been another outbreak of smallpox. And after uh, the last two years, uh, what many of us have come to learn is that when you are, when you are fighting a disease, uh, you are trying to vaccinate an entire population. The idea being that when 70, 80, 90% of a population is vaccinated, the disease has nowhere to go. Bill explains, our program was so new that most of our supplies, including most of our vaccine, just hadn't arrived yet. So Bill's in this impossible situation. I mean, there are quite literally thousands of people looking for vaccine. He looks down and there's, you know, five vials of vaccine, two jet injectors. That's why no one would blame him uh, if someone, including him, had said, it's just not possible. That's not uh, how this medical missionary story goes, and while that's not because uh, Jesus performs a miracle uh, like he does in today's gospel reading, uh, there is a connection. And the connection is this. Uh, Bill dares to dream. He uh, is bold to imagine, and one might say that this medical missionary trusts in his Lord's provision. The Lord who sometimes provides a miracle and the Lord who sometimes provides wisdom and insight. And in Bill's case, that wisdom and insight uh, came in a question. What if, he asks, what if we treat smallpox like a forest fire? Instead of trying to vaccinate the whole population, what if we just try to contain the disease? That way, uh, the vaccine will go a whole lot further. You know, it might seem obvious today, but back in Bill's day, it was a pretty radical decision, and his colleagues' pragmatism almost got the best of him. Bill, they said, uh, we have to be realistic. 
We need to face facts. It's just not possible, but he dares to dream. He's bold to imagine, and he trusts the Lord's provision. And, and because of that, uh, he and his team defeat uh, the virus in the Goja region of eastern Nigeria, and 13 years later, it's this method, uh, the method of containment and observation that goes on to eradicate smallpox worldwide. Now, when I, uh, when I hear Bill's story, uh, the thing that makes me wonder is this. What would have happened if his colleagues had actually convinced him? They convinced him it wasn't possible. Makes me wonder, uh, how would the world be different today? Because I think we all know how easy it is to be convinced, even under the best of circumstances. You know, I hope... A hope dashed, a dream vanished, an impossible possibility that never happens, all because someone somewhere said something, maybe even about your faith, like, it's just not possible. See, it's in a world like this uh, that we meet Jesus today, and it's in a world also like this that Jesus dares us to dream. He invites us to imagine, he calls us to consider that right now, He's the one who's in charge. And because he is, the impossible might just be possible. Nice, he brings us uh, today's reading from Mark chapter 6, and it's a, a rather familiar story, the feeding of the 5,000. It's, uh, it's recorded in all four Gospels, and as the scene opens, a little bit of context is uh, pretty helpful. See, what you might remember from the past few weeks is that several rather significant things have just taken place in the life and ministry of Jesus. I mean, first, uh, Jesus is kicked out of his hometown, and, and not just kicked out, he is told that he is no longer welcome. And then uh, as a result of that, he prepares his own disciples for the kind of rejection that they will face and sends them on a missionary tour of uh, the Galilee region, and while they're gone, Then he learns that his cousin and forerunner in the faith, a man by the name of John the Baptist, uh, is put to death by King Herod. King Herod, who likes John the Baptist, uh, but who makes a drunken promise at a family birthday party that results in his execution. And that's when the scene opens on today's reading. Jesus' disciples return, and Jesus wants to process everything that's happened with them. We see the crowds, they keep coming. They won't leave Jesus alone, and while Jesus and his disciples, uh, that's why they get into a boat and cross the Sea of Galilee. And their destination is this distant shore where they'll get to go and relax, stay, and pray. But today we discover another problem. You see, uh, Jesus has grown so popular that even when he tries to get away, uh, he can't get away from the people. And so their boat lands on the shore. They make their way up this high mountain. They turn around and they see quite literally thousands of people begin to gather. Men, women, children. Some young, others old, some sick, others healthy. Uh, Some come limping, others come walking. Still more are carried along, and they're all there, all coming, all eager to see Jesus. You know, what does Jesus do? He welcomes them. Actually, uh, Mark tells us that Jesus has compassion on them because these people, they're like a sheep without a shepherd. 
Now, we're not told uh, how long it takes, but we are told that it's late in the day when his disciples come to him, and they interrupt what he's doing. Or they say, it's a, it's a remote place. It's getting rather late. Uh, we should probably send these people away so they can get some food. What we need to know is it's, it's an act of compassion. I mean, they're not trying to get out of helping these people, but, you know, they live in a remote place. Uh, there are thousands of people there, and they're expecting to be feeding just them and Jesus. And that's when Jesus looks at them and he says, well, you know, you give them something to eat, and this part always makes me pause. Because if you're one of Jesus' disciples, it's got to seem impossible. I mean, you give them something to eat? Really? Are you serious? You know, Mark, he doesn't tell us uh, which disciples actually respond to Jesus. So we learn about that in John's gospel. But Mark doesn't tell us. And I actually think it's intentional. It's, it's his way of placing us in their shoes. And, and if I were there, the first thing I would do be to do the math and count the cost. I would look at all these people, and I'd look back at Jesus and say, Lord, that's going to take six months' wages. And then, uh, you know, Jesus, he asked this question, uh, well, how much food do you have? And, and if you're there, you look down, and you notice you got five loaves and two fish, but, but what are they going to be among so many people? See, that's when Jesus directs you to have the people go and sit down on the grass. He looks down at that food, those five loaves, those two fish. He gives thanks to God, and he feeds more than 5,000 people. And it's all to show them, uh, the disciples, the people gather us today, that Jesus, Jesus is the one who's in charge. And because he is, the impossible might just be possible. And a couple of years ago, uh, a colleague of Dr. Bill Fagies uh, sat down with Fortune magazine to share a number of insights about his rather long career in public health. You know, many of his insights uh, were pretty fascinating, but this one thing really stuck with me. He said, uh, our biggest foe over the years hasn't been the remote locations, hasn't been the technical hurdles. It's been our failure to imagine, to imagine what might be possible. And you know, as I study today's uh, passage, uh, the more I study it, the more I'm convinced that this is exactly what's going on with Jesus' disciples. You know, I'll be the first to admit uh, that what they're doing is pretty rational. I mean, uh, a bunch of teenage and 20-something guys probably don't have six months of wages to feed thousands of people. And, you know, Tagba, uh, the traditional location of the feeding of the 5,000, it's a couple of miles from the closest place, a town called Capernaum. But for just a moment, I want you to consider their situation. What's their biggest problem? What's their biggest foe? Is it the remote location? Is it the technical hurdles that these disciples face? Or is it perhaps their failure to imagine that because Jesus is in charge in this situation, something that seems impossible might actually be possible? See, this is why uh, Jesus tells this miracle. It's why Jesus does 
all the miracles he does, uh, not to feed 5,000 people in this specific instant. I mean, these, these people are going to be hungry again. Instead, Jesus performs this miracle to show his disciples both then and now that he's in charge. And because he's in charge, things that so often seem impossible might just be possible. I'm willing to bet uh, that his disciples then aren't the only disciples of his uh, who are challenged by this at times. So the more I consider this passage, the more I also realize how close it hits to home. And you know, maybe it feels that way for you. I mean, there's uh, that relationship in your life, the broken relationship, the relationship that Jesus promises can actually be restored. Why doesn't that feel possible? Well, you know, the things we need, uh, food, money, clothing, shelter, uh, why do we worry about them? Why do we worry about them when, when God looks at the lilies of the field and he notices that they don't labor or spin and, and he promises to provide for us even more than he provides them? Why, why do those things keep us up at night? Why do we worry? Well, you know, I think about the kind of callings uh, that God has for us in life, the ones that involve risk. Why do we hesitate? Why do we hesitate when we're sure? Why do we hesitate when Jesus makes the promise that there is no risk you can take, no thing you can do, no place you can go where I won't be by your side? See, I'd imagine uh, that, that Jesus' disciples in today's story aren't the only ones who've limited their imagination about what the promises of God can actually do. And, you know, today's reading, what I think it shows us is that as we live our lives, the greatest challenge we face isn't the living of our lives. Instead, it's believing that Jesus is in charge in every single moment. And and because he is, the kind of promises that God makes for us, promises that, that might just seem impossible, might actually be possible. And so in today's story, Jesus takes five loaves and two fish, and he feeds 5,000 people. And he says, Steve, I'm in charge. In a story shortly after today's reading, Jesus is going to walk on water. And, And it's his way of saying, Carly, I'm in charge. Well, you know, Jesus, uh, Jesus will heal a blind man, and, and it's his way of saying, Eric, or Lee, I'm in charge. And then, sometime later, Jesus is going to go. He's going to die on a cross, and it's, and it's all to, to say, all to do, all to reconcile us with God and say, see, I'm in charge, and because I am, the kind of promises I make, promises like the forgiveness of your sins, the reconciliation of the relationships in your life, new life, resurrection, these things, things that often seem impossible, they really are possible. Because Jesus makes them possible. I know in his memoir, uh, House on Fire, uh, Dr. Bill Fage, he, uh, he writes about the most important ingredient in eradicating the smallpox virus. He says that it was the belief that it could actually be done. 
says uh, the technology, the infrastructure, they were all necessary, uh, but they rested on our faith that the work could actually be accomplished. And then he goes on to say something that, uh, that I've never forgotten. He says, we all know the old adage in life uh, that there are some things that you need to see to believe. Well, he goes on to say that there are uh, even more things that you first need to believe before you ever will see them makes me think about uh, one of my greatest joys in ministry. You know, seeing this kind of faith, uh, the faith in Jesus at work in all of you. You know, the relationships uh, that have been restored. Uh, the risks that, that so many of you have taken uh, for the good news of Jesus. The way that you're always asking the question, you know, what is it right now that God has for us? I think back on the, the past uh, 18 months, and I think about the $15,000 in community assistance money that, uh, that this congregation, all of you, have helped raise. I think about the, the past 18 months and the way that you have said, uh, we want kids and families at the Ark to hear about Jesus. And we don't just want them to hear about Jesus, we also want them to have a place where they can call their church home. And it's not just uh, you together as Messiah. I mean, it's all of you individually in your everyday lives. The way that you are asking the question, what is it right now that God has for us? Because he's in charge. And that changes everything about the kind of way that we live our lives reconciled to him. And so in the, the depths of summer, it's my hope and prayer that God would bless each and every one of you as he dares you to dream, as he invites you to imagine, as he calls you to consider that right now, he's the one who's really in charge. Because he is in your life and in my life, the impossible promises of God really are possible.